welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb Smith. And I'm Terrell Couch. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about democratic optimism. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So we have finally reached a point in the economy where house prices are going down. Still well, can't afford one. <laughs> same. <laughs> well, I mean, at least in pandemic boom towns uh, like Boise, Idaho. Whoop, whoop. So 70% of houses for, se- for sale dropped their asking price in July, which is more than double the previous year. Boise is also the home of the highest share of price drops out of 97 U.S. metro areas. Can I get another whoop whoop for Boise? Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is just this isn't just happening in Boise. Housing prices shot up in many places around the country, like Boise, Tampa, and even Phoenix, Arizona, mostly due to an influx of people who could suddenly work remotely from anywhere. The prices are coming down now because of factors like the Federal Reserve trying to put a stop to inflation. These efforts have caused mortgage rates to rise above five percent, which really put a stop to a lot of the price increases in the housing market. Home prices have dropped 19% year over year nationwide in July. Terrell, this is an interesting story about supply and demand to me, but I've noticed some people I know see this as an incoming recession while others see yeah. it as more as a market correction. What do you think about this? Market correction. Exactly. So do you think a recession is incoming? Because some mm. people are like, it's already here. The economy's bad. It's crashing. I don't think it's crashing, but I do think like, obviously we're in a recession. Like whatever the White House wants to say of, well, we're not in a, we're in a technical recession, not a real one. Like the GDP has, the GDP has receded two quarters in a row. We are technically in a recession. Sure. Certainly doesn't really feel like it to me. I agree. And I think (laughs) not to derail this conversation. I think that's because of a lot of different factors that people aren't recognizing. And one of the reasons I lean on market correction for this story is because very much as we set up this above the fold, you and I aren't looking at houses right now. Our generation can't look at houses right now. So when you are talking about it's more affordable, it's affordable to generations that are only going to live in these households for a short amount of time, and then they're going to re-enter the market. So I think we're starting to slowly see a correction that is scaring big execs and people of older generations because in their mind, it's a, oh, all everything's about to fall apart. But for people like you and I, who are younger, who have been working in um, entry level or low level positions for multiple years when we're supposed to be at the crux of our career, um, we're actually seeing the market correct towards the generation it's supposed to be serving, in my personal opinion. Um, oh, nice. And yeah, I just, <laughs> I don't, I don't think we're in a recession because... You know, our generation hasn't had to pay student loans yet, and we're able to function and literally keep this economy running because we have extra income. Um, We are coming off of a great recession where our generation were able to move into jobs and ask for higher wages. Like, I think one of the reasons you aren't seeing a recession is the generation the economy should be serving is actually getting a little bit of power. And we're just going to see some big red indicators that are going to scare the big wig execs. Interesting take. I like I said, I'm still not convinced that we're gonna like go full blown crazy ass recession. Um, some of my friends are very already. It's already happening. It's already bad. And like they have different perspectives depending on the industry they're in and whatnot. But like I, um, 
I mean, I think a lot, and I've said this before, I think a lot of like the mood that it's already a recession or that we're going to get a big recession is a pretty self-fulfilling prophecy. And uh, I kind of, I lean towards what you're saying. I think it's just, I, I think it's a market correction. Absolutely. Like you, like when in the stock market, when the S&P 500 or whatever stock index um, goes down 10%, it's a market correction. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what it feels like is happening now. And I think just a general economic reset after the crazy last few weird ass years of the pandemic. And I think too that kind of as a closing thought on my end, we need to redefine what a market correction is in that space specifically because the now. market, <laughs> the markets very aggressively ran on this ideal idealization that the Trump administration was going to usher in some like freedom and great economic movements. And we really didn't get to see that over four years, but we did get to watch as Wall Street. Uh, yeah, that can be argued. I don't want to get into that part. Well, I just think that like while the recession went up quite a bit over the last several years beyond four years. I, you mean the markets, not recession? Sorry, did I say recession? You did say markets, recession. <laughs> like in terms of like stock price going up yeah. and stuff. And it genuinely does over time, no matter what. Exactly. But, uh Oh, God, I lost my train of thought. Thanks, Terrell. I was helping you. Oh, my God. I think what you were trying to get at is while it goes up, there's only so much you can associate to certain oh, presidents and pieces of that nature. That's what I was going to say. You can't. It's, like it's, I it's know hard you. to associate the stock market with the general economy and American people yeah. in our everyday lives, right? So I don't know. But I just I think that and the, the closing thought I had, I think very much like this is a correction. I think for the stock market, the volatility we've seen over the last two years, in addition to this heightened optimism in Wall Street or at Wall Street, however you want to put it, um, makes a correction a little bit bigger than we're used to. I think if you saw a 20 percent drop a lot of economists would say we are in the depths of a recession. We're heading towards a depression um, where I would actually make an argument that that is just a correction because stock markets have been a little too inflated lately. That's my closing thought. Okay. Okay. And actually you mentioned something that I feel like I should announce. So this week it is expected that president Biden will announce um, student loan relief plans. And, uh, this episode is being recorded before that happens, but keep on the eye out if you haven't seen it by the time Thursday rolls around. Should come out tomorrow, hopefully. Hopefully. Let's check out the international fold. Continuing our coverage on the Ukraine-Russian war, the United Nations Security Council will hold an emergency meeting Tuesday afternoon at the request of Moscow to discuss the growing concerns around fighting near a nuclear plant in southern Ukraine. As many fear of a potential nuclear accident, both Ukraine and Russia continue to point the blame at each other with the largest nuclear plant in Europe hanging in the balance. Sweet. (laughs) Hours before the meeting was set to begin, um, Ukrainian military intelligence said that Russian military has been shelling ash pits near the facility, creating toxic clouds of dust that are raising radiation levels in the area. This, while Ukraine's Independence Day sets up a backdrop for Russian escalation in the region, marking six months of the conflict in the state. The United States Department of State put out a warning to all American civilians in the region to leave immediately as there is, quote unquote, information that Russia is setting up efforts to launch strikes against Ukraine's civilian infrastructure and government facilities in the coming days. 
We at Danish Likely will continue to follow the conflict taking place in Ukraine and update you as we learn more. Check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and so forth for updates throughout the week. Other major stories from around the globe. A report from the Global Drought Observatory finds Europe is experiencing the worst drought in 500 years, with harvest estimates down 16% for grain, 15% for soybeans, and 12% for sunflowers. The report warns that the situation is worsening in countries including Italy, Spain, Portugal, France, Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Romania, Hungary, northern Serbia, Ukraine, Moldova, Ireland, and the UK. And actually, Caleb, I want to ask you if you've heard about this story. Finnish Prime Minister Sana Marin issued an apology on Tuesday after pictures of topless guests um, were surfaced at her official residence. Oh. Marin is a 30, is 36 years old and assumed power in 2019 as the world's youngest prime minister. But in recent weeks, pressure from her political peers and opponents have ramped up after videos emerged of her dancing at parties. Um, according to reports, they called her decision to party during the country's economic crisis, quote unquote, unprofessional and unreasonable. She agreed to take a drug test after senior opposition politicians argued there was a shadow of doubt hanging over her, despite her insistence that she had never taken drugs and um, was not compromised beyond drinking some form of alcohol. Many ordinary Finns, meanwhile, have expressed support for the prime minister for having what most young people would consider a normal, relatable life for a young woman um, outside of her whole- A woman? Outside of her whole <laughs> high pressure of being in public office. But I, I really want to ask you about this and obviously break how we normally do this. Um, is this what the future of our generation has to expect when it comes to be a politician? Do we have to be some- type of purist that goes to church every Sunday and never wears crop tops as I sit here wearing a crop top right now. Um, because there's this view that if you're in a professional space, you can't have a personal life. Probably look like, um, this is like an interesting story. And there was kind of like some stuff about, there was some drama about her because she was partying like a few months ago too. And yeah. Like, and now women are dancing in support of her because she was dancing too wildly. Like she is 36 years old. She is the youngest prime minister and she was not anymore, not anymore, but she, and, and she's single, I believe. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that you can still like, I, obviously there's like a level of professionalism and stuff that comes with being a whole leader of an entire country. But at the same time, like I don't see why you can't have some fun with your friends and go to a bar or a club and just have a good night after a long week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or drink some alcohol. What it's that versus doing it in your private residence, I guess with a small group of friends. Like, I don't think this is a big deal, but there's always going to be another, you know, the op opposition will always, always try to make this dramatic. will demonize their opponent. will try to basically so they can win elections, right? Like mm -hmm. this is always going to happen no matter what. So I would expect this to be a thing in a lot of places. Um, 
especially when I think about how our, our Republican Party would act if I, Joe Biden was doing this stuff. If Joe Biden was partying, I would be more concerned about his hip than him shaking it. <laughs> but the that's drug, just me. The drug test is pretty fucking stupid. aggressive. Yeah, it's, she volu- She did take the drug test voluntarily, know, but it's, it came back negative. Um, it's like, geez, you know, like, I don't know, like. You're a young person. You've been in the public sphere for a long time and you're single. It's like you're going to want to go and hang out with your friends sometimes. Like just because you're the prime minister of a country doesn't mean that you can't every once in a while go out with some friends and have a good time, have a good night. Like, come on. And just to put it. It's stupid. It's silly. Yeah. Just let people live a little bit. It's fine. And just to put it in comparison, you have the prime minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson. Granted, he is now being ushered out of his leadership role. (laughs) who held a private party in his residence that violated COVID protocols, several of them. them. And I just, I guess as a podcast that tends to be the voice for like a younger generation, um, I just really found this story interesting. Let the politicians party. (laughs) I found this story really interesting on an international front because just like you shared, um, this prime minister is youthful. They're single. They are living what, I think most of us would say is a normal life. Like if I were to bump into AOC at a club, I wouldn't think anything of it. Well, you'd be like, Oh shit. No, I wouldn't think anything of it. Oh, okay. I'd be like, Oh my God, AOC's here. That's kind of wild. But I, I just think that it's cumbersome that we have to think about. It's silly. All of this on top of, you know, running a country and trying to do it effectively. Like God forbid I go out and shake my ass. (laughs) uh people can have fun it's it's okay everyone's gonna be fine and we'll be right back and we're back with dangerously likely so we really wanted to start a conversation about the midterm elections this year Uh, The past month or so has felt like an abnormally good news cycle for Democrats, and they passed a bill last week that gave us the largest investment in climate change um, the federal government has ever made, drug price negotiations through Medicare for the first time, taxes on the wealthy, and more IRS funding, all while actually lowering the federal deficit by hundreds of billions of dollars. And did you notice, there was a New York Times article that came out uh, today that I um, read that highlighted they redefined what greenhouse emissions are. So it's harder to be challenged in court by corporations. Yeah, they put greenhouse gases are now a law that they are pollution. As air pollutants. Yeah. So all this EPA, challenging the EPA's rules on air pollution bullshit, like Democrats did a good job here. Look at them. Very happy about this. Um, Not only that, though, but the news has been particularly bad for Trump and Trump allies with the FBI search at Mar-a-Lago and multiple other investigations into election tampering really starting to heat up. So this conversation, I feel like, is probably going to be a little bit all over the place. It's kind of a preview, one of our preview conversations. Um, We'll probably talk about the midterms a lot more in the next couple months. Um, But right now, I mean, we're starting to see some data coming in about like democratic chances and and even some races that are um, uh, even showing a little bit of um, democratic leads and stuff leading with only a couple months left before the midterms, which don't forget to register to vote if you haven't and make sure to vote. Um, But before we get into the polls and specific races, Terrell, 
I do want to ask you, this is kind of a prediction question, but do you think Democrats can harness this momentum into the upcoming election? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, I mean, obviously I have to take my own graces here because I'm pretty sure there's some episode somewhere, me floating around, that the Democrats might be on the precipice of really messing this up and could lose the Senate, and I just want them to keep the House. And now it's the complete opposite. Now I'm really hoping they don't lose the House, but they pretty much have the Senate guaranteed. Um, I think for me, though, it can't go without saying that the DNC specifically, the Democrats specifically, do owe a lot to creators, um, where we've had plenty of conversations about messaging and the struggles that the Democratic Party has around messaging. There are several TikTok creators that have been intentionally trying to explain why there needs to be a blue what, why there needs to be a blue wave, why there can't be conversations about third party, explaining all of these huge legislative wins that um, you highlighted, Caleb. I just want to give a shout out to um, Blue Waves coming and Too Raw, Too Real, Kenneth Wadden. Um, they have just done such an amazing job on TikTok to highlight all of this, to engage people, to have real genuine conversations around what have the Democrats done and what can be lost this November. And I think if nationally the Democrats carried that message, we can hear some more positive news down the road. Yeah, I was listening to an episode of Pod Save America, which is uh, um, the podcast where a bunch of um, uh, speechwriters and advisors from the Obama administration uh, came together to make a pod, a kind of like more of a liberal media podcast. And uh, kind of the the guy who usually leads the the podcast and conversation, John Favreau, um, has this kind of off series called The Wilderness, where he actually goes and talks to voters in a lot of different states and whatnot, and like ask a bunch of like, like questions and whatnot about political issues and candidates and whatnot to understand further what like just random people on average are thinking about this stuff. And he recently did um, or started uh, uh, kind of recording an episode um, in Georgia. And he asked a question about the um, climate bill that Democrats, Democrats just passed in Congress and this was during the week that like it was all over the news and whatnot. And only one person had kind of heard about it. And so out of, I be, believe there was nine or 10 people there. And, and when, when people, when he told people what the bill was and how it was a big climate package and it did all this, they were like, holy shit, they're actually doing something on climate. So I think, I think there's a lot of momentum with Democrats right now, but I think, yes, whether it's through TikTok or, or um, some just some kind of airwave. I think Democrats really need to focus on uh, uh, getting the message out that look like, like especially younger people have been disappointed that climate change stuff hasn't been done. But look, Democrats are actually doing stuff. They're actually getting stuff done. Like, and I think I'm hopeful about it because I need I, I, a lot of people know about it, and I think that there's some big ad campaigns that are going to start here in the next couple of weeks that really highlight the effects of this bill and whatnot. And I think it's going to be very um, essential and helpful to get the word out. Hey, look, Democrats are actually doing stuff. If you elect more of us, we can do even more to make your lives better. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting uh, 
kind of outlook on things, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty hopeful, but let's take a, a look at the polls. So currently Democrats are slightly favored to keep the Senate, maybe even win some Senate seats, but Republicans are favored to win back the house. Although Democrats have narrowed the gap a little bit in the last few weeks. Funny you mentioned that because on average, it turns out that the president's party loses roughly two dozen seats um, in the house. And unfortunately the Republicans only need five. Five guys, burgers and fries. No, um, but I do. It is really, I can't believe you said that. Um, <laughs> it is really interesting because I think there's a lot coming out that's saying the Democrats have no chance in the house and it's going to be um, just kind of an uphill battle. But representative Maloney out of New York is the campaign chair for um, the House Democrats, and he had a really great quote that I think surmises what the what they're dealing with in the House and why it's so important to get people out. Um, he and I quote: "If they're going to try to rely on rigging the rigging this game because they don't have a plan for the future and they can't talk to voters about their ideas and their vision, well, I think that makes me proud to be a Democrat." Um, that that surmises everything that we're looking at from house polls. If if we really are going to be honest with why the Democrats are going to more than likely lose the house, it is because a judge stepped in in Florida and tossed out a map and let um, Governor Ron DeSantis do his own map that clearly gerrymanders and rigs all of Florida to essentially give them nothing but red house seats. You look at Texas, it's the same thing. You look at Louisiana, it's hard to not feel defeated in that space. However, I do think there's space and opportunity for the Democrats to run up the numbers if they can generate enough enthusiasm to just outshine the games that the Republicans are playing. Yeah, and I also think that like polls are interesting because um, they are a lagging indicator. And I know this happened like, God, has it been two months already when Roe v. Wade was overturned? But I am... Two, three, somewhere in there. Based off, and we'll kind of talk about this a little bit, but in Kansas, um, the results from that constitutional amendment where voters overwhelmingly voted to keep the constitutional right to an abortion in the state constitution, there was so many like more people that came out to vote in that election to keep that. Um, and they voted in most of the primaries, right? Yeah, and... I'm just not sure that, I mean, each individual race is different, but I'm not 100% sure that polls have fully picked up the might of what that 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 random voter base is that's with yeah. Roe v. Wade. And I think that that's going to be really helpful to Democrats. And leaning on what the representative shared, it's important to note in Kansas, after that overwhelming and decisive vote, the Republican Party for the state mounted a recount twice for that to say, well, we think there was voter fraud or we think that there were some illegitimate in we think that there were some illegitimate ballots. You very clearly see that there are two options going into this election. You have a party that has been the most successive legis successive legislature um, in our modern time, working bipartisanly to pass huge reforms. We got a gun reform out of this Congress. I don't think that gets talked about enough. And gas prices are going down. <laughs> but you then have the other party who is running on 
ways to limit your voice when it comes to governance, who's actively trying to overturn what you're saying, i.e. Kansas. And I do think that um, Representative Maloney's words should carry that weight, right? Of uh, say what you will about what party you want to lean on if you're an independent or not. But there has to be some pride in saying that you're a Democrat when the opposition has no plan, is only trying to supersede the, the will of the people. Well, in Kansas, I'm just going to talk about it. Kansas was so interesting because because there was a massive number of independents who weren't um, specifically registered to vote for Democrat or Republican that showed up just to vote in favor of keeping that as a constitutional right. And Kansas is one of those places with a closed primary. So they couldn't vote for candidates. Yep. They just showed up to vote for the right to an abortion. Yep. And that is just... It's just very, I don't know, it makes me feel good about the future, especially if Democrats can keep this top of mind, can keep the momentum up. I mean, two months is not a lot of time, but it's also just enough time that I don't know what the vibe's going to be in two months. You know what I mean? But right now, like, it feels good, and it feels like if Democrats play their cards right, and it feels a little easier than it has in the past to do that, then we might be looking at a really decent election turnout for Democrats. And I'm very interested in what that looks like. And also as a small breaking news story from the New York Times, um, the primary in Florida just closed and we're getting some early results that the Florida Democrats picked former Governor Charlie Chris to face off against Ron DeSantis. The reason this is a very interesting turn of events is that the former governor (laughs) was is a Republican or was formerly a Republican who campaigned on returning um, to political decency and is the best pick to beat Ron DeSantis. So I think even from a Democratic side, and I know we're going to probably dive into this a little bit more, even from a Democratic side, you're seeing the remnants of what it meant to run against Trump. I think a lot of Analysts and strategists are saying Democrats are going to have a hard time because Trump's name's not on the ballot, but the party itself is starting to be emblematic of that. And I think this specific primary shows that even Democrats are recognizing it's more about getting us back to where we should be and how we move forward as a country, not so much picking the bombastic or um, more exaggerated candidate. And I just think we're in for a fascinating November. Let's talk about some of the fundraising. Um that is coming out from the last few months. So the Democratic Senate campaign fundraising uh, campaign committee appears to be in a more formidable financial position uh, than the National Republican Senatorial Committee's uh, fundraising position looks like. So the Democratic one has raised about $54.1 million of cash um, over the last four months, while the National Republican committees has only um, raised about $23 million over the last few months. While the House Republicans campaign arm said in filings last week that it had raised about $9.8 million last month, its Democratic counterpart said it had raised $13.5 million in July, which is, I mean, this is really encouraging, right? There seems to be motivation. There seems to be um, this general, I don't know, it, it reminds me of 2018 a little bit. It just feels like I don't want to be too optimistic. Anything can happen in the next two months, but right at this moment in time, it does feel like there is momentum on our side. And we can't ignore the fact that these numbers are both encouraging because at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who was able to run the most ads, who was able to push out the most content in those last hours. I know that 
um, the National Republican Sen- Senate Committee um, actually ended up canceling over $10 million in ads because they just don't think the candidates can pull out a win. And I think these are all good signs that going into this year, I think a lot of us felt that a red wave was coming. We were going to see a repeat of 2012 and maybe even 2014. And you're starting to see some shifts. I won't call them call them seismic yet that are indicating not only in the Senate can the Democrats hold it, but also there is this feeling or recognition that uh, there needs to be a concerted effort to at least keep government where it is now. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like in the news a lot, like you hear more about Senate campaigns and we'll go into a couple of them right now. But I think um, House races are really important, especially because it's more likely the Republicans will flip the House this year. And no one wants a Speaker McCarthy. Like genuinely, if anyone is listening, no one wants Speaker McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy as Speaker would be the worst. What is that accent? I don't know. Don't ask. ask. But I I think that down the line, we are going to probably dedicate a whole episode to the House Mm. side of things. Um, But the Senate races uh, that really come to mind right now are Democratic candidate John Fetterman's campaign against Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania and in Georgia, Raphael Warnock against Herschel Walker. Um, In that race, uh, Herschel Walker is the uh, the famous football player, so Republicans thought they had a pretty good candidate there. Um, Which makes no sense at the end of the day. I just want to say that right here, right now. Same with Dr. Oz. They're both shitty candidates. Yeah. My God. Just because I, I, Trump I, I won implore, does not mean that's good. I implore some of our viewers, if you haven't, to go like watch interviews with like Herschel Walker, especially. He doesn't even know what he's saying half the time. I it mean, he also so, forgot he had two kids, so. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Um, but I'm actually really interested in these races um, and why the Democratic challengers feel, they do feel quite strong against their opponents, especially John Fetterman. He's killing it out there. Yeah, um, um, recent polls from Arizona and Wisconsin even are just showing how much the Senate is potentially shifting towards Democrats, where Joe Biden won both of those states by less than a point. Um Against Donald Trump, we're looking at these 2022 polls and statistics and finding that they have pretty comfortable leads. Ohio is another example where um, where candidate Tim Ryan was a, a favorite by Chuck Schumer, but didn't no one really anticipated him to have a huge run in the space. And he's starting to poll four, five points ahead of his Republican counterpart. So you're seeing a lot of uh, very similar to what we saw in 2016. The polls might have told us one thing, but now we're quickly realizing that they might not be accurate. Well, and there's probably a larger conversation to have about polls once again, um, because like in Georgia, for instance, like we're seeing Raphael Warnock take a small lead over Herschel Walker, but we see... Uh, in the governor's race, which is the Stacey Abrams versus Brian Kemp, that Stacey's actually losing by a point or two. Mm-hmm. And the short story of that is that uh, polls aren't accurate. But also, full transparency, Stacey Abrams is not a good candidate. She's what? a great. She's a great organizer. Why she's, wouldn't she organize a campaign to be great? You I don't think Stacey Abrams I don't is think a great candidate. I don't think she's a great that candidate. That is such an unpopular opinion. That wow. is not an unpopular opinion, actually. I brought this up on another pod that we had, um, speaking in certain circles and speaking with other political activists from the area. 
Stacey Abrams has an air of herself that she just understands. She's a very, hmm, this is going to hurt my soul. She's a very similar candidate to Hillary Clinton of filling a certain type of confidence when she might not inherently have it. And that's why I don't view her as a successful candidate because in that space, you're like, oh, I'm just going to win certain things because my name's on it versus when she mounted the campaign to get um, honestly, all the the clips and stuff I've seen of her talk about her campaign and stuff. I do not get that vibe. All uh, the campaign she ran for um, Senator or Reverend Warnock. She was very thoughtful and institutionalized of how does he get out and being there with him. And I, I just don't think she understands the true magnitude of running a statewide campaign. So, yes, I do huh. not think she's a good candidate. That's interesting. I don't know if I uh, completely agree with that just because okay. she like, yeah, I think she's a really good organizer, but she also organized statewide. So why wouldn't she be able to now? I don't understand that argument of yours. Just like Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton organized and ended up winning the Senate for the Dems once upon a time but she couldn't manage to win a presidential campaign. That's true. Well, I she will, I still have confidence in Abrams just because um, all those candidates, the Democratic candidates in Georgia are working together. That's true. And so I, I do I do have confidence. And I also think, I, I you know, I don't know. Like I, we look at these polls and it makes me feel like, yay, we're up by seven or eight points. But like sometimes that's been the margin of error in the last few years. So I'm... I'm hopeful, and I think if we keep it up, it'll be fine, but uh, they still make me a little nervous, you know? And I think it's funny, we're even having this conversation about back candidates when um, the Senate minority leader, I haven't been able to call him that in a while, Mitch McConnell was quoted saying that um, he thinks there's probably a greater likelihood that the House will flip than the Senate um, because Senate races are quote unquote, just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Um, I just think <laughs> he says that as like every single Republican candidate is just like an election denier will overturn the election. Yes. Speak about candidate actively quality, losing. Huh? And I just think it's comical that you have Jesus. this institutionalist, this man of the Senate coming out and trying to tamper expectations specifically because he said if they lose the Senate, he would step down as leader, which I'm still hoping he follows through on. Um, I, I just think it's these fools. I just think it's very comical as we're having this back and forth about Stacey Abrams. Really, truly, the Republican Party is facing a huge um, candidate quality crisis. And as that's coming out, you have Trump responding and saying, why should the Republican Party listen to an old hack of a politician and calling his wife crazy? You have Fox News going off of... Um, who does Mitch McConnell think he is trying to come out and speak and now trying to make it seem like Oz is a great candidate and has this huge platform. Oh my God. So you're Dr. seeing Oz this gets huge... dunked on every day by John Fetterman. He is a, he's he a is terrible a, candidate. He's a terrible candidate. They're trying to like replicate this like Trump celebrity thing with Oz. And he is just like uniquely bad. I don't know about uniquely. He's just terrible. He's terrible. Um, I think before we move on to tangents, I think we should talk about Liz Cheney. What do you think? I'm down. Liz Cheney lost her primary <laughs> really badly. It was like 66% to 29% in Wyoming. After literally Oof. winning two years ago by 75 or 75% to whatever her challenger was. Oof. Yeah. And um, Trump and fam 
really went after her there and was successful in eliminating her, basically. She still has four months left in Congress. She has mentioned that she's thinking about running for president, and she has created a uh, kind of a new political um, organization called The Great Task, I believe, which is words from, oh God, I don't remember which president, um, but it's like a part of a quote from, I don't know. Is it Reagan? I don't think it's Reagan. It's not Reagan. It's I don't either. know who it is. I think it's Grant, but don't quote me on that. But um, I did want to ask you that. Do you think that Liz Cheney actually won overall? Like, do you think she's playing what do you chess mean by win though? Compared to like Donald Trump playing goldfish, goldfish. Um, because look at the notoriety she's gotten since losing her primary. She had this. I will argue amazing concession speech that she gave that quotes. Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, and really surmises the importance of protecting democracy. And now where she was playing semi-nice with the Republicans, not actively coming out and speaking against, say, uh, minority uh, leader um, McCarthy, there's been multiple quotes and articles and stories of her going to town against him and calling him out by name. I feel like she like not win the primary, obviously, but I feel like she might have won a bigger game here of now she has a campaign that she can mount, whether we want her to or not. I think it's too early to tell. I'll tell I have a few thoughts about this. Um, first of all, Liz Cheney lost in a state where her family is political royalty. Yes. Like really badly. Like she did. Um now she also has made quite a name for herself in standing up for democracy, which I respect, even if I don't disagree with a lot of her other policies. She did vote with Donald Trump 63% of the time. Um, but, you know, she respects democracy and she's actually like doing it. She's doing the work. And I appreciate that about Liz Cheney. I really do. Um, her saying she's thinking about running for president, I think is really interesting. She has four months in Congress left before she's out. And during this time, we still have a little bit of January 6th committee stuff left. Which is going to be huge. It's going to be big. She has claimed to, in interviews and in her speeches and stuff, that she is going to do everything she can to make sure Donald Trump doesn't have power again. And I believe her when she says that because she has already made herself credible in that department. Now, here's something that makes me nervous, but I also think it gets interesting, is I think that she can remain in the news cycle more than normal if she continues to flirt with the idea of running for president. Yeah. And I think that ultimately might be her goal, but I'm interested to see that if Donald Trump runs, if she actually does run to try to stop him, the problem is that I get nervous about is like, which voters does she pull off? Well, that's the thing is I would want her to run in a primary and hopefully it would split the Republican party enough that even if Donald Trump still won, uh, he wouldn't win a general, but I am nervous about an idea of like her actually trying to run third party and split votes from Donald Trump, because I think she would inevitably split votes also from Biden. That's what I was going to bring up. That's what makes me nervous, but I don't think she would do that. I do think she's serious about making Donald Trump not president. And I think she knows the voters that she has. I do not think that they're, uh, I think they're a mixture, a little bit of pulling away a little bit from Biden. So I could see her sacrifice herself in a primary. And maybe if she wins, wow, that would be crazy. I could see that, I guess. But also I was going to highlight, even with Wyoming, 
Um, one of the interesting things that we learned now that that primary is over is Democrats showed up and turned out for her in that primary in the hopes that they wouldn't allow for this Trumpian um, to win. Additionally, those uh, the creators I highlighted specifically, um, Blue Wave Coming has been huge in preemptively preparing if she were to run third party because you've seen a lot of Democrats come up and say, oh, I would vote for her or I would do X or I would do Y. Um, but I... I would agree. I would be interested if you see like um, the creator Angie Mama Dukes um, from Texas, who's been like really helping give life to Beto O'Rourke's campaign um, for governor, being able to talk as a conservative woman who is offended and tired of the conservatives in the state who are going too far extreme, but initially couldn't find a reason to vote for Beto O'Rourke was able to actually talk to him and is now becoming like one of his biggest spokespeople to potentially wow. give him a win. Wow. So I, I, I would be intrigued to see if that camp maybe ends up voting by and large for a Liz Cheney because they now have an option. I, yeah. I think it'll be fascinating. 2024. 2024. If we make it that far. I think the next like half year will be really interesting. I still just don't think Donald Trump's going to announce that he's running for president. One, either because one of the investigations actually gets him or. I don't know. He might to try to get out of it. I don't think it's enough to stop them. I don't and know I think if it would be, but that. I think. I don't know if it would be enough either, but I think that he would still try it. You know what I mean? Because then it's more of a. I feel like in his mind and maybe in the minds of some people probably more his base than anyone, but if he decides to run or announce that he's running, then suddenly, it, oh, my 2024 opponent is using the power of the government unfairly to persecute me. I mean, the Republicans are already saying that, so who cares? They're already saying that, but I think, I, f- I feel like it gains more steam if he actually is running. I don't know. Anyways, uh, we'll be right back. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes. Even drop a like or a rating or a comment, whatever you might choose. Take us on a tangent, Caleb. Trell, I never thought you'd ask that. <laughs> I. <laughs> My... We got a comedian today, folks. <laughs> My tangent today has to do with space because I'm addicted and obsessed. Um, is it a problem? I don't know. Maybe. But uh, I ran across this opinion piece in Bloomberg by Adam Minter. And the question that he asks is, who needs the government to go to Venus? And you're probably wondering, what do you mean by that? And what I mean is that we're entering, if we haven't already, uh, this into this new era where it isn't all about NASA in government uh, space programs. It's also about private space programs and the money that they're getting to do space stuff too. And I think that any space exploration is a good thing. NASA has to go through a lot of bureaucratic loopholes. There's hundreds of projects um, in space that are given to them every single year. 
and uh, uh, that can only do a few of them. They can only say yes to a few of them. You know, it's taxpayer money, you know, all that bureaucratic bureaucratic stuff in limited funding and whatnot. Private corporations don't have the same constraints that NASA does. And so basically the article talks about how a lot of like space scientists and whatnot have wanted to take a really expensive um, like satellite or rover or whatnot and basically send it on a suicide mission to Venus because Venus's atmosphere is so corrosive and terrible that you could get something on the surface to like just for just long enough before it corrodes into nothing to like get way better readings and understanding and knowledge of what Venus is exactly. Um, but you know, it costs hundreds of millions of dollars just to send an expensive piece of equipment to its death. Like it doesn't make as much sense for NASA to do that. But luckily we have a private corporation who is going to do that. And they're doing it for science and like i don't know like like say what you want about private corporations and all the billionaires going to space and all this stuff but i actually do think that overall it is a good thing that we are doing more space stuff one thing that i think nasa should absolutely do no matter the cost is build a moon base which i don't know i can go into more of why i think they should we can we have the ability to we should do it um uh, it's like uh, exploring a new land. Um, okay, colonizer. Hey, <laughs> colonize the uh, moon rocks. But um, <laughs> I definitely thought you were going to say something completely different. So I was caught off guard on multiple fronts. <laughs> I am part- particularly interested in helium three on the moon and what that might mean for uh, energy in the future in terms of fusion, but also. I think the moon would be a really good launching pad to the rest of our solar system. And it makes a lot of sense to me about why we would build that infrastructure up. And I think my, my, the best thing that could come from a space race like this, or from like trying to actually live on the moon like this is that we would build and innovate and create new technologies way faster. And it would help all the rest of us down here. Like, I think that, I think going into space is just such a good idea. And I wish that momentum was kept up um, when we first started doing it. Hmm. End of tangent. I don't disagree. Take us on a tangent trail. I thought I have one. I don't. I don't. I just one point I want to bring up. I don't disagree. And I, um, I was recently having a conversation with a friend about how nerdy I used to be as a kid. Um, like I was a part of one of those astronaut programs as a, a kid that Sweet partnered with NASA, with NASA and, uh, um, like nasty, nasty, I guess. Um, and would learn all the science things and learn how to create crystals and, um, different pieces and factions. So yeah, I think I agree. But also, like, invest in NASA. Like, kids deserve to understand yes. and recognize how important STEM is and all of those pieces. Ah, there's my tangent, actually. Education. We need to do more. <laughs> we suck at it. The fact that Florida's doing what Florida's doing right now is an atrocity. The what f- are they doing? The fact that um, we have this teacher shortage that is not actually a real teacher shortage. It's just a culmination of everything that was happening pre-pandemic 
just coming to a forefront right now. The fact that Florida is in such desperation that it's providing these quote unquote GI exemptions that are allowing spouses of former or present military, I guess, so veterans or military officials to just become teachers with no formative education or understanding how education has changed in the last 20 years is it's yeah. Um, we're not in a good place and I, I can't help but be frustrated with that. I can't help but recognize that the conservatives are using education as a means to promote anti LGBTQ, um, rhetoric for children to force children to suppress their identities. Um, I can't help but recognize that teachers aren't making enough to survive in most places and need two jobs. And, um, yeah, things aren't good in education. So that's my It's not great. It's not great, Dan. Well, that's our show. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Caleb Smith. I'm Terrell Couch. And we're Dangerously Likely to see you next week.